Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Shout out to our new listener, Neighbor Dan. He uh, wanted to add something to our pile of classic jokes. Why don't melons get married? Do you know? Do you know? They can't elope. Enjoy the show! Uh, Welcome to Critical Thinking for Everyone! Still in the pandemic. We still are in the pandemic. It's still the pandemic edition. However, I need to make an observation, if I may. It's your show, too. (laughs) Okay, so we started mentioning COVID-19 at the end of February on the show. Mm. And as you may remember, I've pointed this out before, that as every week went by into February, March, it took over more and more of our show until March and April... And even into May, it was almost in the entire show, we were talking about different aspects of the pandemic. Yeah, sure. So then you might have noticed that um, since then, in like June and July, we've actually been moving back into other topics because the pandemic situation has sort of been normalized in our lives a bit. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's certainly not the crisis, uh, everyday crisis that it was, but... um, yeah, normalized seems a little strong to me. Well, yeah, maybe normalized. Maybe that's not the right word. Yeah. It's 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 we've we are functioning within this um, constantly evolving situation. Yeah. And so that it's not that there aren't things to talk about or not things to think critically think through. It's just sure. that we're having to move forward with other parts of our lives as well. We're Here not, we go. Moving yeah. forward. We're moving forward amid the amid the amid crisis. the the crisis. The crisis. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? What did the what did the the president change now? It's no longer the racially aggressive flu. It what is, is it? The plague. Really? That's what he's calling that's it. What he, that's really? what he called it the last the time. Plague? I heard him. Yeah, the plague. Capital so. P or small P? I'm not sure. I didn't see his notes. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe maybe that's our new moniker now. It certainly it reminds me of. Um, a lot of uh, the narrative in this book that I mentioned when we first started doing this, uh, The Plague by Albert Camus. And, uh, you know, people can find that text online for free. Uh, and it's really fascinating. It talks about a, a small town and how the bubonic plague comes to that town in the late 19th century. And there's this uh, lockdown situation where, you know, that's a long time ago, and no telephone, and no TV, and nobody in and out. This novel, I think, really has a lot of interesting parallels between what people do now. You know, Patty talks about it being normalized in some ways, and, you know, we're still having a lot of problems, and the spikes come and go, and, you know, there are new rules in place now about mask wearing in public, and um, mm-hmm. closing bars again and restaurant capacity yeah. lowered, etc. I mean, all these things. So um, a lot of things are pretty abnormal in this regard. And um, I don't know. It, uh, it's interesting in the book how people try to get around the restrictions and how uh, people try to instill aspects of their life even when they're in a sort of quarantine situation to sort of uh, it is sort of like normal. And I think that uh, when I see a lot of people out and about, it seems like that's what folks are trying to do. They're trying to get some, some of that normalcy. You read my mind. That is a, a skill that I do not possess. 
No, you were in my mind because this is a critical thinking show. <laughs> no one can read anybody's <laughs> mind. I just want to be clear. About oh, that. you're so right. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because I read an, an article earlier in the week about how people are maybe seeking out normal or like comfort food or comfort TV or comfort whatever mm-hmm. hobby mm-hmm. just to kind of help them have a sense of normalcy or or feeling better about an ongoing situation we all have we can't control right sure so so now let me ask you about the uh, albert camus the plague um is that an accessible read would would people be able to read it and enjoy it oh is it sort of like the stranger his other book the stranger which i read yeah which is not very accessible (laughs) but you can read it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, The Plague is way more readable than The Stranger. It is? Yeah, okay. because I think The Stranger, while it really encapsulates important ideas about um, Camus' work, I think it is a little – it's just it's, – it's so heavily self-reflective mm. and it's so the, – the ways that it talks about values are kind of so devoid – um, and even the way it talks about everyday living, it's just a little hard, I think, for a lot of people to really dig on. But this is really every day. The plague? Yeah, yeah. it's really every day. And, it, and it's wild, right? Because in the first chapter, there's all this going back and forth, you know, between like the city's doctor and the mayor and the head of police about like, well, what do we call it? Because we don't have oh. the actual, like we don't have the tests back yet. But these are clearly symptoms of bubonic plague. So, but... We don't have a test back yet, so right. we and we don't want to. You know, we're going to put this thing out to the public. How you know how much? So I mean, it's weird. Sounds so weirdly like, like we would really resonate with people today. Well, I I read it with this introduction to philosophy class that I was teaching. We switched. You know, once we went into pandemic, we switched our final reading over to this book. And and I just got really. Um, a lot of great thinking out of the students about the ways that the books were were resonating um, in their readings of the headlines at that time. It, it makes you know. me want to read the book now. Yeah, well, like I said, it's real easy to find. I think it's 1936. Um, you can get it online in a PDF, but of course, it's a classic. So, I mean, wherever you find yeah. those, you know, Penguin books or something. Well, thank you for the recommendation. You, yeah, yeah. It's that's really cool a, that you switched to that with the students in the spring. That's really cool that you did that. Good job. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I felt like it was way more, you know, the cl- the course had been planned months earlier. And I just thought, yeah. well, this is way more relevant. And it is, I mean, I have to say it's a little bit challenging as a read um, just because, uh, well, I mean, it was written in French and so it's translated. And so there's that issue. Um, but some of it is definitely mid 20th century language. Um, and some of that, especially since it's European, some of the just some of the terms and some of the turns of phrase might be a little odd for people, but I think that people the who are general reader people who are used to reading things like old classics or sure books. yeah they're gonna yeah. be fine with this. Yeah. Okay, well thank you for the suggestion. For thank sure, you put for it on your about that. Put it on your uh, book club uh, list. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Are you doing? You're still doing a book club? Yeah. How's that? Well, you know, it's interesting. We muddled through by going um, during the March, April, and May. We did. Uh, you know, virtually. Mm. And so uh, that actually, we managed. Okay, it wasn't ideal. But everyone kept going and reading and coming back. And then the last two months, we met outside at a distance. Mm, okay. And that went really well. Good. And so it's going, thank you. It's going along really well. What are you and guys reading? 
Well, we are reading a book right now that uh, we all take turns coming to the group with a couple books, and then we vote. And so, um, at our last month, our last month, we voted on a book called. See if I can remember the name. The, it's the Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying. Oh, by G- Grady Hendrix. Which, okay. Which when I first, I was like, wow, this isn't a book I would normally choose like it didn't kind of on the surface appeal to me but I have to tell you I've laughed out loud more with this book than I probably any other book I've read maybe since since uh I read Good Omens which was quite a while ago okay and it's very entertaining it's a very dark um quirky book yeah but I think next month I get a how-to manual or is it I mean, I don't know. Good about question. This, so, yeah. It's fiction. It's a novel. It's a fiction. It's a kind of a satire. Yeah, yeah. It's kind yeah. of a satire about right. a book club in the '90s and the sort of the vampire that infiltrates the. Oh man. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's very. It's very uh, uh, funny. Vamp- the humor is very Vampires funny. Vampires continue to endure in our popular <laughs> they culture. They do. Hey, but guess what? Next mm. month, I, I'm up for the person who gets to bring two books for people to vote on. Oh wow! So maybe the plague might. No, be. there's no way the plague beats anything else you bring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd be super surprised. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, okay. So, guess what the topic is today? Uh, it's about work. Mm, that sounds boring. It's pretty vague. That sounds vague and boring. No, it's about, it's about the research on how to give and receive advice, but specifically career advice. Hmm. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So, you know me. Where do I get these? I'm always reading and doing things and looking at the Internet and the New York Times. And so thank you for allowing me to bring this article because then I read it. I said, this is so much good, juicy, critical thinking stuff in it. Okay. Well, fantastic. I mean, career advice is certainly uh, an important area for us to think critically in, right? I mean, we... If, if we're going to talk about critical thinking skills and having them and having them be meaningful for our lives, we ought to be able to apply them to um, our work life. Everything. Well, and what's really interesting is this article is about, is about both seeking and giving advice. So whether you're the giver okay. and you and I are in roles where we're mentoring young people okay. sometimes, like I was just talking to a grad student today sure. about her own future, okay. for example. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And But it's also about... Um, receiving advice. So, and it's also some nuggets about advice in general. Okay. So I want you to kind of be in a mindset around thinking about advice you've gotten over the years, career advice you've gotten good and bad. (laughs) Okay. Because I'm going to be asking you for some examples. Okay. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I know you have some good ones. I've got some. Yeah. Okay. So, so let me could I just share a couple, get us started on this? Get us started. This article, by the way, is by Adam Grant. And um, it's called Nana may not be the right person to ask for career advice. That may be true. Have you, did you, over the years, did you ever ask your grandmothers for career advice? My grandmothers offered career advice. <laughs> okay, that's a different <laughs> question. So, so they offered career advice. Okay. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. according to this article, they may not have been the best person to give you the most sound advice. Huh. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> I don't know if that's news to you. Oh, but. interesting. I can't say that that's news to me. But, um, you know, they had good things to offer. They had certain points of view, of course, that I hadn't really thought about. I'm yeah. not sure if I if I always took those yeah. things seriously at the time. 
So he starts off, Adam Grant starts off by saying, when we turn to others and ask for career advice, actually, sometimes it's not great advice. Yeah. And he actually did a, a Twitter thing where he started asking people to share what was the worst career advice they'd ever gotten. Okay. And he got quite a, a nice array. Okay. And so he starts off by saying that he decided to study to actually use this topic as something, um, how can we get better at giving and receiving advice. So he he took this kind of topic and he decided to do a little research on it. Okay. And um, he says the problem starts with who we approach for advice. Okay. Okay? Uh So let me ask you this, based on his research, who do you think most people go to? What's the go-to for most people when they need career advice? Oh, man. Guidance counselor? Okay, could be one, right? Who um, else do? But th- I that, mean, I would think they would probably go to parents. Yep, parents, you know, grandparents. Um, you know, if they have a, I mean, maybe if they have a, a boss or something, I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. He says, well, one of the problems is that when you go to parents and grandparents, the, the work world has changed so much yep. from the reality of when our parents or grandparents were maybe in our our age or much younger, that some of their advice doesn't fit for the context that we live in, right? So he said that's a pitfall to be aware of. Sure. And um, have you ever – so I'm curious. You mentioned that you would ask your grandparents. Have you ever gotten or sought advice from your parent, career advice from your parents? Oh, yeah, sure. I did ask them before. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and can you give an example of something that – that was either like really helpful or like eh, not so much. Do whatever you want to do. That what? Wait, no. Oh yeah, that was pretty much the advice I got. Do what? Do do something that you want to do. After you got out of college. I think that was always the advice I got. I didn't. I mean, it wasn't a conversation that came up a lot. I was typically encouraged to pursue my interests. Okay. And so that was in high school. That was in college. You know, I would ask for advice about this or that um, sometimes, but more often, if my parents had advice, they would they would offer it. So, and when it came to job advice, they had a lot of job advice, but I wasn't in a career space, I guess, for a really long time. And um, what I, you know, what I heard from them whenever it would come up was that you should, you know, you follow should your, do what you want to do. Bliss kind I of mean, thing? not exactly. It was nobody said anything like that then, but nobody I knew. Um, but there was an idea that I would be in the, I would be in the best position to make decisions about my future if I felt good about what it was I was trying to do. And so the yeah. the sort of understanding was that the way for me to feel good about what I was doing was that I should choose it. Um, so yeah. in looking back, that's pretty good advice, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, good think, advice. It's, I think it's yeah. great advice. I mean, it's not directional advice, really. I mean, it's it, it does, especially not for me, because I had a broad array of interests and I've had um, you know, not the most sort of narrow work history, right? As right. a result of that, because I feel, you know, I feel like if there are things that I can, that I want to do that I'm also capable of making money with, and that, that really makes me feel like I'm, 
um, looking in the right place. I have done some jobs. Um, you know, I had like I had a couple of internships in college at um, civil engineering and human relations firm. Oh boy, hmm. it was just nowhere I wanted to be. And I would ask for advice sometimes for that, but nothing really yeah. helped. Well, that's <laughs> informative. But see, that's informative in a different way. Jobs that don't fit you or, or, or job contexts are also inform you about what you don't want, especially when you're younger. Yeah. So yeah. I will say that I asked my parents a couple of times about job things when it was relevant, when I, career mm-hmm. things when it was relevant. So. You know, when I had a military, a short military career, you know, my father had a military career. And so um, I would ask him about things that were, you know, that I thought were relevant to his knowledge base. Uh, my grandfather had a, a grocery store career. So when I, I worked in that. grocery stores, I would ask him about things that were relevant to, you know, grocery store yeah. stuff. My mom's a teacher. So, of course, I've asked yeah. her a lot of times wow. about stuff. But but not very little of it's been career advice because i think that i think that more or less what everyone would have said to me with regard to career advice is and what i have heard a lot is that you need to stop working all these weird different weird jobs and you need to get one job <laughs> i have heard that piece of career <laughs> advice from pretty much everybody but it's so generalized like it's never yeah. You know, specific. So so that actually brings up something I want to mention, which is there's different forms of career advice. There could be career advice like, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a doctor and you work in healthcare. Can you advise me on how to do X or Y or sure. how would I find, you know, sure. so there's that kind of advice. But then yeah. there's also advice that's more about the principles of practice or fundamental and powerful concepts, as we like to say in critical thinking, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. those. So I wanted to share a couple of pieces of advice that I got sure. um, from my parents that um, helped me in, in pivotal moments in my career. Great. So, um, so I'll never forget this. Uh, early on in my early 20s, I got my first, quote unquote, big girl job, you know, mm-hmm. and I was marketing and PR director at stage one theater, which is now, I think, part of a group of, uh, part of like a theater alliance here in Louisville. But Mm. at the time, it was its own entity. Yeah, children's theater. Yep. Yep. And so uh, I had a humanities degree. And so it was like, okay, this this job fit really well with artsy and, you know, um, kind of a people person. So it fit really well. So I'll never forget, I got the job and I was so excited. And then my parents, I was telling my parents about it. And I was like, oh, yay, I got this great new job. And they were really happy for me. And then I said, there was a pause. And I said, but I've never been a marketing and PR person. Like I was feeling a little like, oh, can I do it? And my mom, I'll never forget, my mom said, fake it till you make it. Oh, man. Classic advice. And what I really loved about that, it was so empowering because what it said to me was, I don't have to know all the answers right now. Mm-hmm. I can figure it out as I go. I the, I have the smarts mm-hmm. to do the job. And, mm-hmm. of course, I've never done this kind of job, but I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really helpful advice. And that's exactly what happened. And I went on to be successful in other jobs that I had never done before. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a piece of advice about, you know, Taking on challenges and and being willing to to move into something you don't know, but trust that you're going to be able to figure it out. That was yeah. that was good advice. 
It's useful for that. That's a that's a well a well worn piece of advice. Well, I mean, it came to me at a crit- critical moment. Oh sure. I mean, it's a it's a terrible piece of advice from the point of view of critical thinking, of course. <laughs> Of course, don't be a sophist, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like that's the yeah. essence of sophistry, right, right? Right. And so, if somebody was a wanted to was about to go in and do surgery, and they said, "Oh, I've never done a you know appendectomy before," and you're like, "Figure, do you make it?" Like, no, that's yeah. not the right. No, know. but well, I mean, of course, the extreme cases are funny, and and yeah. we don't, you know, but they're not really they don't really illustrate the problem because, of course. Anyone who cares about credentials or experience would not want an untrained doctor <laughs> doing the appendectomy, right, under, any, under yeah, the but, best circumstances. <laughs> but I do think that when we're out there, because, I mean, I work with a lot of business school students, and this, this mentality is definitely an important one for them, and they pass that around, that piece of advice around to one another quite liberally. And I see a great deal of it in my class, which is exactly the wrong place for it. Well, let, you know, ca- let's just pause here. Intellectually faking it, I think, is prob- is problematic. Yeah, let, let's just pause here. Yeah. You and I did a show where we talked about the research about why young white men in the U.S. were most likely to fake on a... Uh, a a test that asked them about different concepts if they had any familiarity with it and as you might remember they did this across several countries and people many uh, people who didn't know a concept would write on the you know never heard of it they would check that box but they found that young white men in the U.S. were more most likely to fake Yes, I do know that concept, even when it's nonsensical. So I just want to clarify a point here. We say, when my mom was saying to me, fake it till you make it, she knew I could totally do the job. Mm -hmm. That piece of advice is get in there and you'll figure it out, Mm -hmm. right? It's Mm -hmm. like a confidence thing. You can do this kind of thing, right? It's a shorthand kind of phrase. But it's definitely not an all-purpose phrase for... Every kind of career piece of career advice, for yeah. sure. That, well, so I just want to clarify that. Well, that's fair. And I mean, with respect, you know, with all due respect to your mom, because, you know, I'm not trying to bag on her advice or anything. I think that what we have here in the best case is we just have a metaphor. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's all. And so, of course... Western civilization is built on people taking metaphors and running with them and exceeding expectations thereby and, you know, doing spectacular things because they went beyond what seemed literally possible because they had a, a more romanticized version of something, right? And we celebrate those people, I guess, rightly or wrongly in our culture, the ones who succeed, right? I mean, that's they get the praise. And so I think from the point of view of a metaphor, if that's if it's if it's a sort of thing where, you know, what we're really saying is you already have these skills, young person, and you just need the opportunity for them to come right. out. Yeah. But that's not faking anything. Right? I mean No But no. I'm just saying, I mean arguably you've already made whatever skills there are that, you know, have led you to get here. So you're all, you've already kind of done that. It's If you take it that way, it's an interpretation that works well, I think, for people who do already have the skills to do whatever it is. I think it becomes problematic 
when people don't actually have the skills. Absolutely. And that's why I set up the context for for why that was important for me as a young person to get that boost that way. Well, that's why I'm saying I don't want to undermine any of that, because I think for people who are capable, it's It's, appropriate as a metaphor. Because I don't because what I'm saying is I don't think your mom was saying you go in and like make it up as you go. You don't have these skills. <laughs> right. You're so just going to go in there it. and fake it. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas I do think that in our society, people get hired to do jobs all the time where they don't know what in the world they're supposed to be doing. A- absolutely. And they take this as strict guidance. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And that's where that's but that's the place where I think this becomes a problem a problem for sophistry. Okay. So Important, important to parse that. And let me add this, too, to, to the mix. Sure. This is also a problem in politics because oh, guess what? They're all fakers. There was some research done about why more, mo, why more women don't run for office. Now, mm. this research is probably about seven or eight years old. Mm. And guess what they found? Oh, I couldn't They imagine. They found Something that when men heard about an opportunity to run for office for something right. they had absolutely no background in, right. no skills in, right. many men went, oh, I could totally do that. Mm-hmm. And when they presented that opportunity for women, why don't you run for a House of Representatives in your state? Or why don't, you know, why don't, that many, oh, no, oh, no, I do not have the skills. For, I, I have zero background. But so it was really interesting, the documentary Raising yeah. Ms. President mm. pointed out this gender thing. So is it feels like there's some gender stuff here about men feeling like, oh, I totally got this, mm. right? And yeah. and that um, study that I just cited backs that up. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's to- always a gender thing. I'm just saying it's just interesting that those both of the research done in both of those areas pointed to a gender, this being a gender in some context. Well, so. and that may be, yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't want to dispute that in any way. I mean, I, I do think that the society of privilege that we live in, um, you know, the white man, adult male, has the highest privilege, if you will, the most access, just generally speaking. Um, if you flip up a random textbook, that mm-hmm. isn't very thoughtful. All the characters are white men. Like, they all look the same. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is just action figures. I mean, yeah, I it's mean, just, it's it's just a... the standard, right? And so society reflects that by granting access and privilege to the people who seem like um, they fit in the most appropriately. And I think that all of that is completely unconscious. And I think it's taught over decades and decades. And I think it's some of what leads to... Um, some people, I guess, you know, white men, I guess, but not only white men, but certainly it, it would account for white men feeling like they can just do stuff in the society because they've been allowed to just do Absolutely. stuff over and over again. Absolutely. They've been allowed to fake it till they make it over and over again. Well, to fake it or just <laughs> to try. Like, right. like they've, they're given options and access and ability and people... For a lot, I mean, again, it's a huge generalization because, of course, a lot of, um, you know, white children don't have great opportunities and this kind of thing. But when you look at where the power is concentrated, a lot of that's concentrated with white men, as has been pointed out ad nauseum. The opportunities that we get throughout life 
really lead to, you know, our our confidence level, like our ability to say, yeah, I I can do something I don't know anything about because look at all the stuff I've succeeded at before I didn't know anything about. Right. So in fifth grade, I was in gym class. Mr. Mrs. Mr. Lando. Mr. Lando. All right. Okay. Mr. Lando's gym class. And I noticed that he was always choosing boys to be captains of the kickball team. You Only never heard boys. Of a girl captain, did you? <laughs> so guess what I did? Do tell. I spoke up and raised my hand and said, why can't girls be captains? It's a fine question. And I don't remember his response, but this tells you a lot. Guess what happened the next day? You were expelled. No. Before he could choose captains, he sent me down to the office to get his coffee. <laughs> that is not the way I, I thought that story was going to I am not kidding. I am not kidding. That is, I... I was sure that you were going to give us this feel-good hallmark story about getting to be the the captain of the team for that day. First young lady in, in the, the history of the Mr. Lando's reign. I still remember walking down the hallway trying not to spill coffee. Trying not to spit in this misogynist <laughs> coffee. Yes, I know. That must have been a huge... Your parents should be proud of you for your restraint. But... I would have dropped he, that coffee three or four times. He on got the his comeuppance. You know when? I, I do tell. It's your story. Like six months later, we were outside because the weather was nice. It, okay. We were on the playground playing kickball. Okay. A squirrel runs across his feet, and he jumps back and screams like a girl. He just found and out. We, <laughs> we all laughed. It's a pretty. It's the small victories. <laughs> That's another one your mom probably told you. In this case, you know, you go with the you go with the little things. I just had the to share those. The moral I had high to ground. share those. It was the moral <laughs> high ground. You never got to be the kickball <laughs> captain. But I got to see him emasculated there you in front of just, the whole class. Just savagely by the squirrel, a confederate in the, uh, in the second stage uh. feminist movement. <laughs> so, you know, formative moments in our life come in. Positive and negative experiences. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm, I'm so. you know, I don't know anything about this, but I have to say, if you don't have a squirrel tattoo, you're missing out on an important avatar. I think. I think you. I think squirrels should be. Oh man, I should look him up and find out what happened. To uh, him. Yeah, I'm sure he's got a whole family, some <laughs> activism out there. Move from tree to tree. All make right. Things right. Yeah, okay. Sure. All right. The school I got to go back to the article. Do you got them? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. You know, because there's wanna, some good things in here. I just want to point out, in case you don't know what in the hell happened to the show you were listening to, <laughs> we are critical thinking for everyone on 106.5 <laughs> FM, WFMP LP, Louisville, Kentucky. We are out of the Hayburn Building, and my co-host Patty. I'm Brian Barnes. My co-host Patty. <laughs> Maybe picked from the wrong plate of brownies at the office before the show. I don't know. It's just a conjecture. <laughs> okay. Woo. Yeah. I that was a good laugh. I tell you I what. I needed that. It's the brownie. Okay. It's the brownie laughing for okay, you. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, uh, to go back to Adam Grant's article. Adam Grant's article. Because I'm I'm curious. There's some good stuff in here. Okay. So far, it's been and, fantastic. And, <laughs> stuff. Okay. So he says, although we say we want advice from people with relevant expertise. Okay. Oh so, yes. Although so we. Say that, right? Um, we end up reaching out to the ones who are enthusiastic and approachable. 
So he gave the example in hospitals, his colleagues, and he have found that when healthcare professionals need a second opinion, they turn to their most accessible colleagues instead of the most knowledgeable experts. And you can all find Dr. Anthony Fauci on <laughs> some kind of European uh, pay access channel. Is it like maybe Al Jazeera has him now? I don't know. I mean, who's, who's broadcasting oh. Fauci? <laughs> Good, Jeez. very good example. Oh, I mean, that's so, exactly the stuff. So now, how often have you, you and I have talked to each other about career advice over the years. You oh, and yeah. I have I've given gotten each other. way more career advice from non-family members because it's been situation relevant. And I've got, and also very few people in my family have actually gone the kinds of paths that I've gone. Yeah. So that's another reason why. Yeah. yeah. So I think what Adam's point here is really good is that, okay, so maybe you want to ask your parent, partner, neighbor, dog, you know, yeah, the person dog, in the next cubicle. I love the dog. I mean, you <laughs> got to gotta include them. Yeah. yeah. They have a lot of empathy. Uh, they demonstrate a lot of empathy. Stuff, They're good yeah. listeners. Yeah. And, or the person in the cubicle next to you who's your you know bff at work that's okay but he says you know you want to be able to think about it critically and go well who who could i who do i know or do i know a friend of a friend or how could i get someone who's relevant someone whose expertise is relevant or who's in a position that i want and i could reach out to them linkedin get this LinkedIn is, I don't know if you know this, but LinkedIn is the new favorite thing for career centers at colleges to tell students like, oh, you're graduating with a degree in philosophy. You want to know um, what you can do with that? You huh. can actually go to U of L. So they outsource search. <laughs> no, you search in under LinkedIn for other graduates of the program and you look what they're doing. And you, you could even reach out to say, hey, I see that you are working for, you know, um, this government agency and you got a, a philosophy degree and and you could email them and say, hey, can I talk to you a little bit about your career path or whatever? So, so you actually have LinkedIn as this kind of like network, this worldwide network that somebody could tap to help them find people to talk to. Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds good. And I mean, certainly... <laughs> Anytime I've gone to the Career Center and asked for advice about what to do with my philosophy degree, the answers are so general and relatively unhelpful. Like, if you have a degree in philosophy, especially a graduate degree in philosophy, you right. probably already know all these things. And most of those paths are relatively complicated and require several more steps. So that's why I'm here, because I was looking for something a little bit more immediate since I've already spent 150 years in school right. to get this philosophy yeah, degree. Yeah, you did. Well, I mean, and I'm not alone, of course, but I think that, um, you know, for a lot of people, something like LinkedIn is going to be way more relevant because there are practitioners out there and there are people, you know, people put their education right there. So you can see, ah, this person is a corporate whatever, whatever, but look, a, a degree in philosophy or something like that. And I mean, you can you can actually find groups where people want to talk, you know, active professionals want to talk about that. So, right. yeah, I think I think that's a relatively uh, good move on the career center's part, although I, I don't know. I, I, it would be great if there were a lot of in-house 
ways to do that. Oh, like a also. Yeah, and and I'm sure I want to guess that there are. I'm just throwing that out as an well, example just, that I, listeners who are, who are yeah. not access to the Cursor at Uval anybody could use sign up and use LinkedIn. So that's right. That's so, right. So I would so, like to invite anyone from any career center to let us know how you're, um, you know, maybe helping students figure out how to do things in your offices. I think that would be interesting. Career center professionals who listen to the show, we want to hear from you. Yeah. That yeah. segment of yeah. our audience. I don't know if there we are want. any. There may <laughs> be none. If, if I mean, if not, we can always reach out to some and maybe ask them to come on the show. I know a couple. Yeah. I doubt they okay. listen to the show. Well, if you you're out there, if you're come out on. there, hello. Yeah. So, but this is where um, Adam in the article where biases can come into play mm. um, because we know, right? As human beings, critical thinking tell critical thinking tells us that. We have biases, right? Yeah. We walk around with them. And Even so though he, you think you don't, you smart person, you. Right, exactly. And so he says one of our tendencies, one of our biases is, again, we're going to go to people we know versus who might be the most relevant source. And he says research shows that we prefer to go to people who are going to tell us what we want to hear versus maybe more complicated or diverse advice that maybe we don't want to hear. So one of the biases that you need to be aware of is when you're seeing, and I think this is true about advice generally, not just career advice, but, you know, being a critical thinker means seeking out alternate points of view than just the things that you already think or want to believe is true. So kind of push yourself to, to be open to, other points of view and other advice, even yeah. if you don't want to hear it. Yeah, let me just lay out the gold standard for this in my yes. view. Um, so, and people won't do this. I understand people won't do this. I just want to just sort of illustrate for the people listening what the distance is that we're talking about here. Um, the be- distance? Yeah, the distance between where you're actually at intellectually and where you would need mm. to be if you were actually pulling this off. Mm. So let me tell you about where you're not right now, dear listener. When you come across something that you don't agree with, do you take the time to ensure that you can recreate that position in its fairest way, and when I say wow. fair, I mean in the way that that position would want to present itself if it were being accurate. You know, I'm not talking about recreating the, that position's irrational bias. I'm talking about if, if it was using information accurately, how would that organization or intellectual position or concept or person that you think is really toxic to your thinking, how would that set of ideas present themselves? And then once you get that together, Mm -hmm. fair-mindedly, then you want to try to intellectually undermine the pieces of that, the most fair version of your opponent. And what you'll find if you try to do that is you'll, you'll gain a great deal of understanding about the positions that oppose yours because you'll have to do research and you'll have to set aside your own biases in the name of fair-mindedness. And we you, we might even be able to learn what some of our biases are through this process. But, I mean, nobody's going to do that. Well, It's just that's how you do it. If you were, I've done it. Anybody can do it. It's a giant pain in the butt. I mean, it takes a long time, and you have to do a lot of writing and a lot of thinking and a lot of uh, patience. And yeah, and you have to be you know really self-critical, and you have to. There's a lot of 
questioning. Like I, if you take it seriously, you question your own position. Right, because you're this is your opposite. So you have to you have to challenge your own position in order to get at the ability to fair mindedly consider the other wow. position. That is it's a big ugly stuff. That's a big that's a big critical thinking lift. Yeah. And you know, Adam said there's something else that gets in the way of doing that. Sure. Is anxiety. Sure. Well anxiety yeah, about sure. the decision. Sure. Right? Because you you know, maybe also sometimes we can get wound up and we want an answer fast. And right. what you're suggesting takes time and willingness to to consider other points and even ask yourself, Am I am I leaning toward this because it's what I want to do? Right. Right? Can you filter? Can you take the time to just filter and check? Is this my vested interest here? You know, or have I really thought this through? Or is this just what my people do? I mean, that's a big one that right. I see. All my people believe this, so I believe it. It's like, yeah, but right. you just said that you believe it because these people believe it. What is that thing that you believe? <laughs> Can you articulate that yourself? Right. No, no, no. Just whatever this person's doing. That's, I'm down with that. Yeah, but you don't know what that is. Right. So Can that you means, even articulate it? Well, that means yeah. – and what that means is if the person who's taking the lead who you just decided to follow because you think they had the right ideas, if they only had part of a right idea – if they only had the beginning of the right idea, if they don't know how to actualize the idea in such a way that it doesn't end up creating hypocrisy or mm. some other kind of harm, how do you know those things when you just when you never look? You just go, I'm just following them. It's ridiculous. Are you offering yourself as a critical thinking coach for anyone who might be facing a difficult career? I mean, we are you... absolutely not supposed to. Uh, pitch for our oh, own right. consultancies right. on here, but I absolutely will. So just reach out to me, <laughs> Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. My phone number's out there everywhere. Yeah. You can get it, me. Or you can enroll at L in Brian's Critical Thinking class. Oh, sure. That's, Philosophy Department. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. there for you. So, so, or Foundation for Critical Thinking class. So one of the takeaways from this article then is when we are seeking advice, we need to be careful of our biases in terms of who we ask, um, uh, in terms of only paying attention to the advice that we want to hear. These are, these are really good practices of being a critical thinker when you're seeking advice. And it's not easy, as you point out. Right. Yep. So now let's talk about some of the research about giving advice, okay? okay. Some of the things that that we tend to do and some of the things that would help us be as a thinker, because I thought this stuff was gold that he recommended. So when somebody comes to you for advice, um, he says that sometimes our urge is to give them a a recommendation that is something we would do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like when I was talking to this graduate student today, I was, of course, immediately thinking of my own mm. life at her sure. crossroads. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't say you should do this, but I definitely was using my own lens as I was talking her through her situation. Mm -hmm. But what, and of course, then I read this article and I was like, oh, what this article says is, this is really interesting, is that people benefit from hearing our thought process and our perspective on the relevant criteria for making the choice. Yeah. Right? right? So critical thinking, Brian, you and I both know that we don't want to, when we teach students, we don't want to just give them the answer. What we're trying to do is help them be better thinkers. Mm -hmm. So think of a mini opportunity when someone comes to you with advice and say, okay, hmm, let's see, here's how I would think about this. Or yeah. here's, a, here's a way... 
here's a way I might, or you ask them questions that elicits their criteria. Yeah, no, and I, helps them think about it's, it. Uh, it's absolutely the right way to do it. I think I'm just I'm I'm thinking you, about what are you laughing about? I'm thinking about this uh, comment I got on my student evaluation from last semester that, in a critical thinking class that said, "I didn't learn anything about critical thinking. All he did was talk about himself." <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was and like, <laughs> okay. Well, you were like, coming. <laughs> that was a swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nah, that, I failed that student. So what? No question. What, what, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you know, I talk about my own <laughs> thinking process a lot in class. I say, this is what, this is how I'm thinking about this. And I go through it. You're and, modeling. Yeah. Them. And I tend to use examples that are about my own <laughs> life. So I'm talking about what I did today and. You know what? I made this decision. Here's how you ma- here's how you use the material we're using right now. Here's how you use elements of thought. Here's, here's how, how I use it. Like yeah, here. and you can. And now, you guys do it. Apparently, this student didn't stick around for that. He part. just heard you talking about your life and then like tuned out. Yeah, what well, was like? And then when it was time to do, you know, their part of the exercise, I guess, I guess that wasn't. I don't know. I obviously it's very <laughs> difficult to engage in dialogue with students about these kinds of things since it's you know the After ship has sailed. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah. I did. I, I think that that's. I think that that is that is a danger I had not anticipated. Right. I mean that I I did <laughs> like you didn't. It didn't occur to me that someone would look at one of my presentations and go, God, all he does is talk about himself. <laughs> but. That's what people do with this show. People listen to the show and they're like, yeah, but all you do is get on there and talk about yourself. And I'm like, but <laughs> anyway, I mean, so, so I, I think, I think maybe. And I, even I talk about you. I, <laughs> I think maybe in some ways we're not used to this approach, this modeling, because I think that in education, Education professionals that I had growing up, they were very they, – they personally were very removed from the material. There were only a few of them that talked about how the mysterious material in our life. And I remember asking my advisor in college, what philosophy do you follow? And he just started laughing. Yeah. And he said something like, like not one of these people or something <laughs> like that. And I remember just being floored like, well, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? These people are talking about how their ideas apply to my life and I'm supposed to go try them on for my life. And I'm writing papers about how right. this relates to my mind and how. <laughs> and you're telling me it's just an academic, academic exercise. Academic exercise. <laughs> it's also. It, it was just, and it, you know, and and it wasn't that he didn't have, you know, anybody. Who, it just wasn't anybody we were studying at the, you know, that I was familiar with. Let me say that. But, but it was frustrating to me once he explained all that. It was still frustrating to me. Why study these classics then? Like, if the classics aren't really useful for helping me with anything, like if they're not going to be, right? You know, if they're not going to uh, advise you, why bother? And and I remember he said something along the lines of, and maybe he's probably not listening to the show, but maybe I can get an actual <laughs> quote later. Um, he's still out there somewhere. I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I had to study all those in order to know that I to reject like those really? those ideas led me to where I'm at now, which is. Something even better than Aristotle could ever come up well, with. Well, yeah, he would definitely agree with that. I mean, just because you, you sift through, right? And, right. and, and one right. idea, you know, the, the sifting process gives you information about where your preferences are and what your, um, 
interests and your competencies and where you might do work or where work might need to be done. I mean, all of that is part of that process. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's this this whole thing has been so personal for me, like the whole all this stuff, everything I teach, it's all highly personal for me. And I find it very difficult, frankly, to separate it all out and make it not make about it me. make it very right. And so maybe you need sure. to make your okay. I'm sorry, but I'm going to put on my faculty developer yeah. hat. You need to make your process more explicit to the. Oh, students. I'm so explicit! <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, he must have tuned out. Well, I or don't she. know. I don't know. She. I don't know. I'm sure it was something I did wrong, but I just uh. I just found that to be that was clearly a student <laughs> that I did not reach with my modeling. <laughs> He was like, well, I got a D in philosophy, but I got an A in Brian Byron's life. I know all about his well, life. That's the thing is, is, is I sit around <laughs> and I go, I, I go, you know, students, I'm telling you this because you have minds too, and you should compare my thinking process with these details to your thinking so process. So by then he was like. That person was he already was on asleep. Facebook I don't know. Or whatever. Or okay. Social distancing. All right. Yeah. Well, a few other nuggets What before we run out of time is that one of the things that Adam Grant said is that he was interested in this thing about this situation where we're better at giving other people advice than we are giving ourselves advice. Mm. He says that often because we are have distance from someone else's advice, or, I'm sorry, we have distance from someone else's situation. We have mm. enough distance, but sometimes we can see it in a different way. I mean, sure. you have given me advice over the years, and and you know my life fairly well, but you have enough distance from it because you're not in you know you're not oh me. yeah I mean, just the parts that you tell me right whatever, but yeah. sometimes you can give me good good advice but it's precisely yeah just as you say it's precisely because of you know different assumptions and different right. points different of point view, of view right concepts and yeah. he said this is actually called Solomon's paradox oh my lord um, it actually has a name and we have more distance from other people's problems that are own is this why you cut babies in half Solomon is that, the, <laughs> is that how you get to that so this is really interesting he said when we're giving advice to others we're more likely to zoom out to see the bigger picture instead of trying to weigh all the factors we base our recommendations on the two or three most important factors. So meaning to us, when yeah. we're trying to write, we, we, and, and we have emotions involved. And he said, so the lesson here is that one of the most effective ways to get better advice is to give it. So he said, um, psychologists find that our reasoning becomes wiser when we think about our own problems from a third person perspective. So if you said to yourself, yeah. what would I tell a friend in this situation? I notice when I just make that mental move, I notice that I'm much more fair-minded than yeah. when I'm soaked in my own emotions about a situation. Yep. Or I could say, what advice would Brian give me? What advice? And then I can actually text you and see if I was right. <laughs> That's a it's a party game. That's a party game. Yeah. yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? No, I think it is interesting. Um, it It's something that I think is really important. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about this problem, um, sort of when, how possible is it for us to be fair-minded, like, like to get Truly. this kind of objectivity that you're talking about. And um, John Mill, one of these old dead white guys that I, you know, I'm always talking about, he had this idea 
that when you're trying to get this kind of distance that you're talking about on a problem, um, especially when it's a problem that includes you. Yeah, right. What's it's his advice? So, well, it's so easy to slip into your own self-interest and just decide for all of these people, just decide what's best for you. Right. And since you're the Feels decider, good. well, Feels sometimes, good. I guess, but I mean, you know, the idea is just everybody can come along or not. You yeah, know, Mr. Kind of Lando's a great example. Well, there you go, right? Yeah, you don't you don't <laughs> want to do it my way. The coffee runs for you. Um, but yeah, so what Mills said was that we should do a role play. Mm. Yeah, he said that um, the problem is that our self interest is so insidious and so deeply ingrained that if we try to just ignore it and just tell ourselves, okay, I'm deciding equally for or fairly for everyone that we will almost inevitably screw it up wow right and so he said we have to do a role play and this is this is the scenario for the role play yeah people are you're walking down the street and you come across people two three four people engaged in an argument on the sidewalk right you don't know any of them okay and they stop you and one of them says hey we're arguing about something we can't decide. Right. We need an objective opinion. Right. Could we tell you, stranger, who has zero No stake, dog in the fight, right? Nothing in this. And could you decide for us? Yeah. And so Mill said that person, in the best case, would be disinterested, right, in order to achieve the ob- objectivity right. element. Right. And they would be benevolent. They would have... The best interests of the people they were deciding okay. for at heart. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So Mill said we should all role play the benevolent and disinterested spectator. Wow. On any decision making process. That's how you get your self interest out of it. Hmm. So what would the benevolent, disinterested spectator tell me? About which part? Whatever. No, about my problem. That's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, that's that's exactly that's right. It. Because the decision. Because if you're really doing that, it works. For Mill, the dynamics change and are really enhanced when you have multiple people involved in the decision making. Because for Mill, if I'm only deciding for myself, there probably aren't really oh. good reasons for me to do anything other than deciding my interest. Yeah. It, it's when they're, it's when I'm deciding not just for myself but also for oh. others, like politicians might. I love it. I don't give a crap what the politicians' personal interests are. Frankly, I don't care what they're, they do in their su- free they're time. They're supposed to be thinking about their interests, who they represent. They're supposed to, in our system. Uh, right. They're supposed to be uh, representing the people, and so this is a model that they could follow. Like, it's not their personal thing. This is what they believe would be the best for the greatest number of people. I mean, there are ways that Mm. that can go off the rails or whatever, but I'm just saying in terms of the scenario where how do I get my own self-interest out of a decision where I'm involved? Right. It's this role play. Have you ever tried that? I've done this assiduously for years. And is it helpful? Yeah, it's super helpful, especially when you don't hijack it um, sophistically, oh, which, I was, catch, which, which I was really good at for a long which time. Which you got to catch yourself. Well, yeah, I mean it's complicated. It's easy to um, it's easy to bring your own self interest in, especially when you're concerned about negative outcomes, right? And so right. you want to avoid negative outcomes somewhere down the line. Yeah. So you do a little sophistic 
crap over here to yeah. put that off or maybe put that out of or, mind. Or, yeah, and it's especially hard when we live in a society where politicians don't model this for us. Yeah, leaders typically and, don't model this right. for us. we got to find so, it in some kind of you know odd back corner somewhere. Yeah. Your postdoctoral John, work. John Mill. Yeah, John Mill. Yeah. Good Lord, who's reading yeah, that Yeah, so we're recommending yeah. Albert Camus and John Mill. Richard wow. Paul's pretty good on this. Uh, you know, when you started mm-hmm. talking about the insidious, it immediately made me think of Richard Paul and mm-hmm. how he is so, in his writing and the speaking um, that you and I saw him do before he passed away, yeah. is so much about our deeply rooted egocentrism that is constantly trying to hijack our thinking in ways that, we don't even notice because it's just so much part of our our egocentric point of view and how do we how do we stop that how do we hit the pause button and so yeah Richard so, was always worried about that yeah and so i really liked this article because especially the part about the you know benefit from hearing our thought process you know like instead of giving someone a piece of advice because that's what you would do help them think it through model model it for them well, so th- yeah well, absolutely thanks for bringing in the article i think it's great I'm glad yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Well, it's it. a good conversation. I mean, I think that and I think it is important that we don't just go for advice for the people who are sort of geographically or um, sort of intimately closest to us because those people sometimes just will not have um, the right kinds of advice to give for some circumstances. So it's nice to have some alternatives. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you liked it. And um, I'll post it on our Facebook page for anyone who's interested in learning more. Oh, that sounds lovely. And we hope that uh, you've enjoyed your time with us here today. And we hope that as you go through your week, as you're trying to get uh, your best thinking on about your career or about your relationships or about your hobbies or about your own personal self. Or your um, gym class. Or your gym class. Should you have one or at this point? Club. Yeah, there you go. Whatever it is you're rocking through, um, we hope that you'll try to think about some of the principles that we talk about on the show, that you'll um, think about your own thinking, that you'll try to come up with some high-quality standards for doing that, uh, that you'll try to find some methods for holding yourself accountable, and that ultimately you'll just remember that these tools have been used for a long time. They go by many, many names, and uh, they continue to be in the public consciousness and offered uh, to people like you, dear listener, because they are indeed for everyone even you hello hello sir how are you i am fine what can i do for you okay so um i want to ask you a question about philosophy and Uh-oh. i kind of want to put it on the radio so here's my question oh, my answer? yeah okay is that okay yeah yeah okay so my question is what philosophy would you have said in 1992 that you followed? 1992. Or thereabouts. Well, I have pretty much always been an advocate of classical liberalism, of the sort that you find in John Stuart Mill and, and John Locke and Adam Smith, free, mind, free markets. Okay. That, that general approach to philosophy that emphasizes individual freedom. Okay, cool. I was talking about it on the radio, and I don't remember what the context was. I had told an anecdote about asking you this question, and you saying something like, well, it's nothing we're studying in this class, or something like that. And 
And if you like hearing me call and harass my mentors out of nowhere, then you should donate to forwardradio.org. 20 bucks a day keeps the lights on, keeps this radio programming coming to you from the Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville. Remember, it's for everyone.